Hallelujah. How you feeling tonight? Good? Amen, amen. Oh, Lucas Asher's over there stealing the show. Welcome to him. He's a new member of our church. Praise the Lord. Brother Moses, Sister Elena, and Elizabeth, and now Lucas Asher. Praise the Lord. So we're glad they're here tonight. Okay, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you right now for your awesome word. We ask you to help me to teach and preach this tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. In the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Give credit once again to Dr. Doriani. Uh, the theologian behind theology in everyday life. Uh, amen. So, first of all, when we talk about calling, sometimes finding our place in life is challenging. So you go to work and you ask yourself, am I where God wants me to be? Amen. <clears throat> Is this the place that God wants me to be? Is God calling me to be here? Is God calling me to do this? What does God want me to do with my life? And especially sometimes when you get frustrated at your workplace, you know, you say, man, I think I'm just going to go and find another job. I'm going to change jobs because I'm just so frustrated with this place I'm working at. Amen. So sometimes that creates questions, doesn't it? About whether or not you're in the will of the Lord, doing what God wants you to do uh, in, in life. Now you will be surprised that the Word of the Lord really doesn't talk a lot about this. It doesn't as far as placement in life. It talks about a call, but not necessarily about placement in life. Okay? about who you work for, all these things, uh, not really touch much on in the Word of God. Amen? But calling is. Now, the verse I read to you here in Romans chapter 1 deals with placement in life. Paul says call, that he's called an apostle. So that's a calling, that's a placement in life, it's a place of service, it's a place of work what he is, uh, his vocation is, what his call to do in life is. But uh, that's not really the primary focus in the Word of God when it comes to calling. Okay, so tonight if you're wondering, what am I called to do? Well, the primary thing that God talks about when He talks about calling is He, he talks about calling us to Him. Okay? So if you're wondering, well, what am I called to do? First of all, you're called to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So instead of the Bible talking about, you know, what job you need to work at and all of these things that tell you, give you guidelines, where to work and all that, it doesn't talk much about that. It focuses more upon our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you ask me, Pastor, what am I called to do? Well, by the Word of God, we are called to be saved. 
we're called to be in a relationship with the Lord. Okay? And so we're going to try to help you, first of all, with an understanding about what calling is biblically. It has to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let's go over in Romans 1 and 6. So we have a contrast here of calls. The first one is Paul's placement in life, what he is assigned to do from God. And then verse 6, it says, Among whom ye also are the called of Jesus Christ. So now the word is used there, called, but it's not about a job. It's not about a vocation. It's not about your placement in life. It's about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So called, among whom are you also called of Jesus Christ. Now primarily, most of the time, when you study calling, that's going to be the focus. It's going to be the calling that we have to be saved and to be in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright? Amen. Now in Romans chapter 8, please go over there. Okay, I'm going to look up something here in this chapter. If you find it first, it talks about uh, whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate, that we might be conformed into the image of his son. So if you come across that, for some reason I have, that has slipped my mind. But it's in Romans chapter 8. 29. Okay, thank you so much. All right, verse 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also did what? Called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You with me on that? Well, what is the calling then? Verse 29 tells you that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. So calling then, primarily in the Word of the Lord, again, if you're so worried tonight about what is my calling in life, now you know. So let's go home. (laughs) Your calling in life is not so much about the location where you work or vocation, all of that. The calling biblically is to be saved, to be in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then once you and I are in that relationship, we are to be conformed into His image. That means living a holy life. So it is a call from God that once you get saved, once we get saved, then we get we live a holy life. We be more conformed into the image of His Son. That is the ultimate call of God. That doesn't mean we're not going to talk about the other, the placement in life. But you need to understand from a biblical perspective, callings in life ultimately is about being born again, being saved, and in that relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to produce humility, it's going to produce righteous living and holiness. That is our ultimate call. If you miss that, then you've missed everything, really. 
You might have a good job as an unbeliever. You might be able to accomplish a lot of things. You might enter into what psychologists call self-actuation, which is you are able to accomplish a certain amount of things within your mind, your body physically, so on and so forth, that makes you fulfilled in life and accomplished in life, you know. But there's still you're still going to come short as a fallen individual of the purpose of God in your life. Amen. Because you're not redeemed. So you have to start where the Bible focuses on calling. And that is, am I a born-again believer? The called of Jesus Christ. Am I being conformed into His image on a daily basis? That means living holy before God. That's the number one call. Now having said that, then you understand that once you become a born again believer and then you begin to live holy before the Lord, then God can literally radiate His glory through you no matter where you find yourself. So it's not necessarily, man, i got to find that, that one place that, you know, I'm supposed, I'm going to search for the rest of my life for that one place that God wants me at. That's not biblical. What's biblical is once you become a born again believer and you're being conformed to the image of, of God, then wherever you find yourself in life, whatever job that is, whatever location that is, wherever you find yourself, God will use you there to glorify Him and to help other people. So it's not always about finding, you know. God, give me a dream. Tell me what job to take. That's not the way the Bible addresses work or calling in life. The most important thing is being born again and being in a relationship with the Lord. And as far as where you are working, it's not really a big deal. That might, might surprise you. But that's biblical. I don't really think that God cares where you work. Amen? But He will care for you in the work. <clears throat> and as I said, I don't think God really cares about the specific location or the specific job that you take. I don't think He cares. Tomorrow you could quit and go work somewhere else. Amen? And just be, be in the will of God the same when you quit and go work somewhere else as you were the job before. Because ultimately it's about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ and glorifying Him wherever you find yourself. And we'll talk about it in just a moment. And I'll show you that a lot of times your calling in life as far as placement is concerned pretty much is out of your control. It's really not based on your choice. It's based on family members. Family members influence what you do in life. It's influenced by where you're born, what city you live in. Are you here by choice? As far as birth? Did you get to choose which mom and dad you want? No? Did you get to choose which mom and dad and what occupation that mom or that dad works? Did you get to choose that? No. Did you get to choose the city you're living in? Not really. 
Either you're here because you're a part of a family unit or you're here because God assigned it to you. So really you didn't even have a choice. So what you do is you find yourself in the family unit that you're in, probably influenced by your dad or your mom. In the city that you're at, okay, you have an environment that's influencing you. So you go to work in these places and the main thing, and again I want to emphasize this, biblically, God is not saying to you that you've got to get on your knees and pray and fast for 40 days to find out where He wants you to go to work. He doesn't care. I know that shocks you. Because again, the Word of God, when it deals with calling, it deals with your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and being conformed into His image. And if you do that, wherever you go, say, wherever I go, God's going to bless me and He's going to be glorified and people are going to be helped and there's going to be productivity. So you have to get to, you have to, in your mind, you have to get to a place where every time you go to a placement in, in, in your life, a job or you call a calling, you have to understand that every time you get frustrated or whatever, and this thought starts coming to you and says, well, am I really in the will of God here? Being here right now? You know, if I was, I don't think I'd be so frustrated with all the things that I have to deal with. And, you know, sometimes things don't go well. You've got to remove that kind of mindset. Because God's not trying to get you to take another job. He's saying, stay put where you are. Work through your adversities and glorify me where you are instead of always uprooting all the time and going somewhere else and looking for that so-called place that God's called you to. Let's go home. That's enough. That'll maybe stop you from coming and talking. Hey, Pastor, what do you think I'm called to? I don't know what you're called to. I can tell you one thing. God's called you to be saved. I can tell you one thing. He's called you to live a holy life. But as far as the job you take, don't ask me. You could have said, I take a job at Piggly Wiggly or, <clears throat> or Gibson's. Well, it depends on which one's in the city. Amen? I don't think there's a Piggly Wiggly or a Gibson's in the city. So that kind of tells me that your environment, your city is going to choose for you even though you've dreamed from a baby that you wanted to work for Piggly Wiggly. Just, okay. So as a born again believer, yes, we trust the leading of the Spirit of God and God will open doors. But a lot of times the place you work is not by your choice. It's something you just had to do to make some money and to be productive in life. Amen. You get there. So, well, I'm frustrated with this job, so God must have another place for me. You're not in the Bible. You stay where you are. Amen. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Are y'all with me here? All right, say praise the Lord. <clears throat> the challenges that we have in life 
whether it's sacred jobs like ministry. So I'll just use the term job for your understanding. Some people think, okay, if I could become a preacher or a missionary, man, that, that's the greatest job to have. Because it's sacred in contrast to the secular. But you need to understand that there's challenges with everything in life, whether it's the sacred or it's the secular. And I don't like to divide those. I think that's foolish. And I'll explain that to you as I go. But what the challenge is, is that we do not know the results of what we are doing. That's the challenge. Okay? For example, if you're a teacher in a school, as you teach those kids, you don't know if they're listening to you. You don't know if they're accepting what you're saying. You don't know if they're learning. Do you? you just do it, don't you? Go there, you do it. You don't know the results. Hopefully they are. And hopefully good results come from it. But you can't see your life, your life, the results of your life in what you're doing oftentimes. So that's a challenge. Even for a pastor, and I stand up and I preach the Word of God, I can't see my life's results at times. That's a challenge. Amen? Even somebody that's preparing food at a restaurant, when they prepare the food, they don't know, okay, the salt content in this hamburger, what's it going to do to the people that are eating it? They don't know the results of their labor. Somebody employee working for a bank, giving out loans. They don't know the result of the loan that they just got approved for somebody. They, they oftentimes don't see the results of their life. They don't know that maybe that loan allowed somebody to go and get a business, but they don't necessarily know the outcome of that. They don't know the results of their labor. And that's challenging for you. Maybe your job is to be a stay-at-home mom and to raise your kids. And it seems so ordinary. It seems like it's just unimportant and insignificant. And the challenge is sometimes you don't see the results of your life in everything that you're doing. Amen. So there are, there are great challenges in trying to find our place in life, not just you know the location, but once we get there, the challenge, challenge of seeing... Am I significant? Am I being effective in anybody's life? Is there any results that's going to come you know, from what I'm doing? Would I be missed if I quit today? Those are challenges. Okay, so you'll see what I'm saying here tonight. It is important for, you to, for me and you just to simply glorify the Lord and to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, now, call biblically Theologically, to use that big term, equals a call of the Lord to Himself to be in union with Him. Okay? And then the placement in life, the secondary aspect of calling, that becomes a part of it. To give you some understanding biblically, I'm going to run through some words. Okay? And I'm going to spell them for you. These are Greek words that are translated into the word call. Alright? The first word, K-L-E-T-O-S, uh, kletos, that's Romans 1.1, which I read to you already about Paul, again. 
Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separate of the gospel of God. That word kletos, Romans 1.1, and then even 1 Corinthians 1.1, similar thing. Paul is saying, I'm called to be an apostle. That deals with placement in life. But that is a very rare use of the term call. The next Greek word is klesis. K-L-E-S-I-S. Klesis. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Let's go there. And again, this one is another example of being called to the Lord. Verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, so and so forth. So you get the point there that this deals with a calling of God to righteousness. Again, it's not about your placement in life. It's about your relationship with the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Let's go to Ephesians 4. This is going to really help some of you because you're going to stop pursuing all the time. Some invisible call that's not there. Now I do know, I understand callings in the ministry and things, and that's vocational. Vocational is what you're called to do. But that's we're talking about calling in general, your placement in life. Okay? So this clasis, this word clasis, 1 Corinthians 1 26, is a recall to righteousness. Ephesians 4 1. Let's read this. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy. Ooh, look at that. Of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now we have the word call and vocation used in the same verse in verse 1. And what's it about? It is a call to walk in humility before the Lord. That is the primary use of the word calling in your Bible. Not placement in life, but a call to righteousness, a call to purity, a call to be conformed in the image of His Son, a call to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate call in your life. Amen? And that's primarily how it is used in the Word of God. Now, there is another word, kaleo, K-A-L-E-O, kaleo, Example, Matthew 1, 21, Acts 4, 18. It's simply the word that is used to speak to somebody else. Okay, or to call out to somebody else. Alright, communication calling. You see what I'm saying? And we're not focusing on that one tonight. Uh, we're focusing on the other two. Now, if we live a holy life, God will use us in a powerful way no matter where we are. And don't forget that. And I don't know if this means anything to you. Hopefully it does. To show you just how free you are. And how free I am. That once we get in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're walking in that relationship with Him. That you could just about be anywhere. And that's the main point. And God will use you and powerful in a powerful way. To do great things wherever you are. So that you don't always wonder if I'm in the will of God. Amen? You're in the will of God 
because you're in a relationship with Him. You're full of His Spirit. You're walking in holiness before Him. That puts you automatically in His will. And the place you're working is insignificant. Tuesday, Pastor, I think I'm going to go work, you know, this place. I don't want to be here. Because I feel like God's calling me over here. I say, really? You sure about that? No, maybe you're just frustrated and you're tired of the tension. And you, you don't see results and you can't see that you know what. Yeah, okay, you get it. I'm going to free myself as well as freeing you tonight from getting a call all the time that wonders about, well, am I supposed to, am I called over here? I don't know. Probably, probably go ahead. And then you come the next day, am I called to be over here? I say, probably, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Amen. Now I do know, I do believe in words of knowledge and words of wisdom that come from God. I do, I know that. We've operated in that. We understand that, you know. Amen. But ultimately, it's your relationship with Jesus Christ that's the most important thing. And mine. And when I'm walking with Him the way I'm supposed to walk with Him, He will use us, I'm going to repeat myself, powerfully wherever you are today. That's what's important to God. Biblically, that's what's important. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, to uh, emphasize this, as far as your placement in life, look at what the Lord says here. And we're going to start with verse 17. And as we read, you're going to find out that when it comes to your placement in life, again, most of you really are where you are not by choice. Okay? And this is coming from the Apostle Paul. So let's look at it. Verse 17. Please have your Bibles out. Read along, please. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called, Every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised? You see that? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Okay? So what Paul is saying is this. As you look at yourself, and if you're circumcised, you're a Jew. Or if you're a Gentile, uncircumcised. He said, don't desire to change who you are. If you're a Jew, that's great. If you're a Gentile, that's great. It's unimportant. It's totally unimportant because whether you be a Jew or a Gentile, both can serve the Lord and being being a Jew or a Gentile doesn't make a difference. It's not important to God. So if you're a, if you're a Gentile, I got, see, we got some people today, they're trying to be Jews. Gentiles. Trying to be Jews. Paul said, don't do that. 
If you're a Gentile, don't try to become a Jew. If you're a Jew, don't try to become a Gentile. It's unimportant to God. There are some things in our life, like the color of my skin, the color of Bishop's skin, the color of your skin, your nationality, your background, your ethnicity. It's unimportant. God doesn't care if you're black, white, red, green, yellow, purple. He doesn't care about that. You start focusing on that, you see you've completely walked away from the Bible. He's made all one flesh. We have all one Father. One Father. God is, you know, Adam was the offspring of God. He was called the Son of God. Every one of us have one Father. It doesn't matter... You and I have the same Father, God, that created us. Every one of you. You might be a little whiter than me. Probably not much. You might be a little darker than me. But I'm, what I'm saying to God is totally unimportant. Amen. So if, you, if your skin's darker, don't try to be lighter. If your skin's lighter, don't try to be darker. I'm not talking about sun tanning, but you know the point. What I'm saying is it racially it is totally unimportant to God. He does not care what color your skin is. So don't try to change where you find yourself in life. Because you can't change if you were born to a Jewish family. You can't change that. You can't change the fact if you weren't born to a Jewish family you're a Gentile. You can't change that. I can't change the fact that I was married I was born to Anglo parents. I, uh, you can't change the fact that you were born Hispanic parents. It's unimportant. God doesn't care about all of that. Amen. Okay, so we'll, we'll apply this in just a moment. Verse 19, circumcision is nothing. And a translation simply, so you'll understand what he's saying, if you're a Jew, nothing. Who cares? But the keeping of the commandments of God, that's something. You with me? Alright, now that's important because in the early church, and they were, <clears throat> some of the Judaizers who were coming to the church, they were born again of the water and spirit, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, brought into the kingdom. Some of the Judaizers in the book of Acts was telling Gentiles, you have to become a Jew. That means you have to be circumcised in your foreskin in order for you to be saved. And the new early church says, oh no, no, no. You do not have to become a Jew. You do not have to, to experience physical circumcision to become a Jew in order to be saved. Are you with me? Paul is building this. He's saying it's nothing to God. It's not important. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse 20, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. Don't worry about it, he said. If you're called to God and you're a servant, that means, you know, that you're a slave, basically. And you're not getting paid for what you do. And you're under the, uh, as you're working there, you know, 
don't walk around, well, God, am I out of your will here? Should I change jobs? You don't have a choice. You can't leave your master in that culture and go get another job because you're a slave. So God says, stay where you are, servant. Stay where you are as a slave. Glorify God as a slave, as a servant to your master. Amen. You with me? Don't try to change that. Now, if you can be free, be free. If you can buy your freedom, then do it. If you can better yourself in life, better yourself in life. Amen. But where God found you, in so many situations, what He's saying here, is out of your control. You didn't choose the family you were born to. You didn't, you didn't even choose your occupation in some cases. You were put in these situations. Amen. And so God is saying, stay there. Alright, it's beautiful. I love it. Okay, now look at it some more. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. He says, no big deal. Don't worry about it. I love the way God speaks. That's beautiful in it. He said, don't worry about it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. If you can't, if you can't, in that day you, you could purchase your freedom. He says, you can't, if you can't be free, then stay where you are. Glorify God as a slave. Amen? If you can do something to better yourself and be free, be free by all means. Amen? But there's some things you can't change. Alright, let's keep going. Verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. So you might, listen, you might be thrust into situations, into jobs that you don't want to be at. You have a hard time getting up in the morning and going to that job because you feel like a slave and you don't feel fulfilled. And you don't feel like, you know, that you're developing yourself into your full potential and you're frustrated about that. What you need to understand is that's okay. It's okay to be where, where you are. It's okay to go to that place and not be fulfilled. It is okay for you to go there and be treated like a servant and be treated like a slave and sometimes mistreated by the boss. It's okay. And God says don't try to change it. If you can better yourself, do it. But serve the Lord wherever you find yourself. Amen. That's the point. Instead of sitting at your desk or whatever you do, welding, whatever you do, you know, driving the truck, whatever you do. Sitting there wondering, well, God, do you have another place for me? Am I fulfilling the call of God in my life? God is saying, stop that. And understand that some things in your life are going to be with really in a, in a way without your choice. Because not everybody's going to hire you. There's only some people that are going to hire you. So really, it takes it out of your control. So you go to that workplace, if you hate it or you love it, you go to that workplace and you glorify Jesus Christ when you go. And if you can better yourself, better yourself. But until then, don't sit around wondering if you're missing the will of God for your life. Because God says if you're a slave, 
Now we're going to bring it to practical application. You go to your job and they treat you like a slave and you're a slave there and you're mistreated by the boss. Amen. Then God says, you're free in Him. You might be a slave in life. Things are out of your control. you got to go to that job because you've got to bring home the money and you've got to be productive. So what I'm, I'm already kind of getting ahead of myself, but the point is, when you take a job, it is not so you can go there to be fulfilled as a person. It is not for you to go there and to develop yourself so that you can, you know, uh, be a person in, in, you know, in, a, in a functional way at the highest level. That's not why you go to work. The reason why you go to work is to get a paycheck. The reason why you go to work is to be productive in life. Whether you're fulfilled or not doesn't make any difference. Whether you like it or not doesn't make any difference. So you want me to stand up here and tell you there's a job out there's paradise. No, God is saying you are going to be thrust into situations because you have to do it. You have to be there. You have to go there. Amen. And they're going to treat you like a slave. But that's okay. Because you're free in Christ. Why do you go to work? Well, I go to work so I can be fulfilled as a person. You missed it. I go to work so that they, so I can be developed in my personal skills. You missed it. If you happen to get a little education in the workplace and they, they're willing to, you know, make you a better person in your skill set, you're blessed. If you happen to find some fulfillment in your workplace, you're blessed, but that's not why you go to work. You go to work to be a producer and to receive that check to support your family. And sometimes you do it and you go there when you don't have a choice and you don't want to be there and you hate it and you hate the people that you're there. Not you because you don't hate. but and you got a boss that just just on you all the time and just just... And you don't want to be there. God says, you're a slave. Stay. Don't try to change your location all the time. Learn to persevere through difficult times. Learn, learn to stay somewhere. Amen. And glorify God wherever you are. That's what's important. That's what you, you need to understand. Okay. Now, if you can better yourself then, and that means you're going to school on the outside of your job, you're fine, your, your potential is being developed, your skill set's being developed. Okay. That's okay. But that's not often found in the job. It's found outside of the job. Right, everybody with me here? Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. I just, I just, you know, somebody says, I hate my job. I wish I could get another job. This must not be the will of God. It's so stressful. I don't feel fulfilled. You know. Amen. I'm not, I'm not living up to my full potential. Everybody with me? If you're a slave, continue to be a slave until you can better yourself. 
and glorify God and know that you're His free man. Even though you're a slave in life, you're His free man. But also remember, if you're a free man, you're still His slave. Ultimately, nobody, nobody in this church, including your pastor, nobody here today is free. Every one of us, number one, belong to Him. And we are His slaves. <laughs> We're His love slaves, but you belong to Him. Every one of us, you're not free. And not only that, but not only are you not free because you're a slave of Jesus, but you're not even free in life. You belong to somebody in this life. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody here, Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not free. But I want to be free. You're not free. Somebody owns you. That doesn't mean they have the title deed to you. But that means you are beholding to somebody. Everybody is. Okay? We'll get to that in just a minute. I want to be free to do whatever I want to do. Even kings are limited. King Tim. That's his. I got a new nickname for Timothy. Everybody, so you know, you might hear me. I call him King Timothy. I told him tonight in the prayer room. I said, even kings have limitations. Bro. Every one of us tonight belong to somebody. That means. Not they own you title deed, you know, but I'm saying you are beholding to somebody in life and put a period on it. Okay? Amen. I'm beholding to you. In a sense, I belong to you. But before you start shouting and screaming and running the aisles, you need to understand you are beholding to me. So, yeah, you're free, but you're a slave. Okay? Amen. An employee belongs to the employer. You, be, you are beholding to them. You are slave to them. And the boss that's over you, he's beholding to somebody because he's got a boss over him. Everybody awake? The students you teach, if you're a teacher in school, the students that you teach, they belong to the teacher. That means those students are beholding to the teacher. And the teacher's not free because he's beholding to the dean above him. And the dean's not free because he's, he's subject to, you know, whoever. King Tim. King Tim, he's free, but he's limited. You understand? So even though in life we're free in Christ, we're slaves. And you're a slave when you go to work or whatever you do. You're a slave. You're a servant beholden to somebody. But you need to, you need to come to terms with that and understand that that's all right. That's the way it is. 
said, oh, well, I want something that's going to free me to do whatever I want to do. Because I have dominion. In Genesis, God said, you shall have dominion over the earth. And, and I got dominion. That means I can do whatever I want to do. That's not what that means. You're free to do what God called you or, or is telling you to do. Amen. In that word. Say praise the Lord. So if you're going through life, man, I'm looking for my freedom. I just feel so boxed in. I feel like you put so much pressure, people putting pressure on me. And, you know, I just, oh, I wish I could be free. Like a, you know, David said, I wish I had the wings of a dove. Then when I fly away, it'd be a rest. I've been there and said, God, I wish I had the wings of a dove. I'd have fly away somewhere. Be at rest. In some ways, in some ways, I'm here by assignment from God. Not necessarily by choice. I choose, I choose to serve Him in this capacity because He's called me to do it. But in some measure, I don't have a choice. I don't have the choice that I'm pastoring in, the city I'm pastoring in. I don't, this is scary business. I don't even have a choice as to who I pastor. <laughs> that's, that's why it's extremely dangerous to be a shepherd. Amen. We'll learn a little bit about that Sunday morning. You know, David was a shepherd. Being a shepherd's dangerous. You fight lions and bears. It's a very dangerous occupation to be in. Okay? I don't get to pick and choose who I'm going to pastor. Right? I don't get to pick and choose the location that I pastor in. So again, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. Wherever you work, you're a slave. You're a servant. And it's okay. You're beholden to somebody. You gotta be. Somebody comes to you and says, Well, you're one of them free preachers, independent preachers. Brother Dice told me a long time ago, he said, Anybody walks up to you and says, You know, what denomination you're in? I'm not in the denomination. He said, don't let them call you free. He said, because there's nobody that's free. Amen. Amen? So you have to understand what the ultimate call of God in your life is to be in a relationship with Him. And once you get in that relationship with Him and you be conformed to Him in the image of His Son and you're walking in holiness and you're walking in humility and, and these things, these traits of Jesus Christ are in your life. Amen. He is going to put you in places born to families you had no choice to. Cities that you're in that you really didn't choose to be in. Jobs that you're working at that really when it all came down to it it was who accepted your application. It wasn't really that you even had a choice to be there. And you're wiggling and you're squirming and you're trying to find the call of God. God gave it to you. He ascribed you a place in life. Amen? To glorify Him wherever you are. Alright, I think you got that pretty much, didn't you? It's an assigned place. According to Paul... It's an assigned place from God, the calling. The placement in life is an assignment. Amen. Now, and I've already covered that, so hallelujah. I love it when God helps me speak and, 
I don't have to look at my notes and it's the next paragraph, you know. So I already taught you about belonging. How many of y'all belong to anybody? Do you belong to anybody? You're, you don't belong to anybody? You're not beholden to anybody? You're free. Get your leather jacket. I hate to tell you, I hate to break the news to you, but you belong to somebody. And whether they treat you good, treat you bad, makes no difference. Hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't God good? Okay, so when we talk about placement in life, number one, to Christ, to the faith, God ascribes a place to us. That means oftentimes we don't have choice in, in that work, that calling. Uh, and then we have a calling to work. Okay, so first of all, let me talk about a couple of things. I, don't, I really sort of already addressed this, but there is in psychological teaching about work, it's called self-actuation. And I've already covered it, but I'll talk to you about it again. Self-accusation. Act. Self. Act. 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 Self-actuation. Okay. That means you go to work to be fulfilled. You go to work to develop yourself body, soul, spirit, you know, uh, to make yourself better. That's not biblical. Okay. The second one that I've taught you about already in First Corinthians chapter seven is ascriptivism. That's a social term. Ascriptivism. That means that God has placed you in an assignment in your life. You are there. It's not like you know supernatural anything. It's just God puts you there in that place. You're there oftentimes without choice. And while you're there, you serve God. But again, it's not about going there and being fulfilled. It's not about going there and developing yourself as a person. It's to go there to be. Ascriptivism is this. I'm going to my job because I have an assignment and that assignment is to be productive in life. Amen. Beautiful. And for a wage. Tonight, if Brother Michael, you know, you're the manager over there at Cheddar's, you go there, they say, hey, my, my Brother Michael, show up and you'll be fulfilled and, you know, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll develop as a person. But there is no pay. Would you say, oh yeah, let's go. I like that idea. Of course not. You go there to get a wage and you go there to be productive. That's why you go. And if you happen to be at a job that you get a little bit of personal development, that's good. If you happen to be at a job that you get a little bit of self-fulfillment, that's good. But that's not why you go. That'll keep you in a job. Don't seek to be loosed. Continue to be a slave there. Amen? 
you, you're walking around in, with your head up in the clouds. You know, you don't produce anything where you are. You don't do anything where you are because you always got your head up in the clouds looking for a rainbow somewhere else. It's not biblical. Well, I'm looking for that rainbow of self-fulfillment and self-actualization. Actuation. <laughs> I knew I should have stayed away from that. I want to develop myself, body, soul, and spirit. Let me just define it for you. You're going to be looking for the rest of your life. Amen? Okay, now. So then when it comes to the call and placement in life, is it number one self-act? Why can't I say that? I need to drink some water. Self-accusation. There we go. Anyway. Is that the right way? To approach work? Fulfillment? Self-fulfillment and personal development? Is that why you go to work? Or is it the second one? That you have been thrust into situations, even workplaces, that you don't necessarily want to be at, but you go there to be productive and bring home the paycheck. The second one, right? Well, that's Paul. That's what Paul said. Paul said it wasn't for, you know, personal fulfillment or personal development. Now, from a theological point of view, uh, there is, oh boy, an individual by the name of John Frame. Theologically, he says this. This is interesting, okay? It goes along with ascriptivism, which means I go to the job not for personal development or fulfillment, but I go there to be a producer and to bring home a paycheck. Now, in connection to that, because that is Bible, 1 Corinthians 7 by Paul, when you take theology as a whole in the Word of God, this individual, John Frame, says this. There are four... Uh, our calling comes from four sources, based on four sources. You with me here? Number one, God's gifts. Okay. What I'm going to do in life, my placement in life, is going to be determined by the gifts that God gives us. God gave you gifts I don't have. God gave some of you gifts. Everybody's different. You're all gifted in some way. You have talents that God gave you. You have gifts of the Spirit that God gave you. Those can be developed. So when it comes to a call, everybody here in this church has some kind of gifting or calling that God gave you. That's a resource of a call. Secondarily, the Holy Ghost enables us. What does that mean? When you get the Holy Ghost, God enables you to discern the gifts that you have through self-examination. What gifts did God give me? What talents did God give me? I know He gave me some. So I'm going to go through a process of self-examination. I'm going to look at my life and look at myself and say, hmm, what are, what are my strengths? What am I good at? What, what are the gifts that I have? What the, what's the talents that I have? You know? So that's the second 
of the four. The third one is God provides opportunities to develop and use our gifts. Okay? Now what does that mean? He provides opportunities to develop and use our gifts. How? Through mentors. So God gave you the gifts. Then you begin to discern by the Holy Ghost the gifts that God has given you. And then God's going to connect you with mentors in your life to develop the gifts and the talents that God has put there. Amen. So He doesn't just give you the gifts and He doesn't just enable you to discern the gifts. He gives you the ability through mentorship, you become the mentee. And the mentor works with your life, whether it's your boss, amen, pastor, teacher, whatever, to develop the gifts that you have. And that's continually. And then number four, God gives us wisdom to use our gifts to glorify Him. Amen. The wisdom to use them. How to use them. I got these gifts. How do I use them? Wisdom is applied knowledge. One thing to have a lot of knowledge, but if you don't know how to do it, how to use it, you don't have wisdom. So God, then the fourth thing, He gives you the wisdom to use the gifts. How to use, amen, the gifts and callings that God has given to us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So is it the first one then? We go to work to be fulfilled and to develop ourselves, body, soul, and spirit? Is that it? No. Is it ascriptivism? Which means I'm assigned to go to a place to be productive and bring home a paycheck. Yes, according to the Word of God. Sometimes completely out of our choice. And we shouldn't be always running around looking for something better. But the most important thing is that God gives you the gifts, gives you the discernment, enables you by the Holy Ghost to discern the gifts that you have as you challenge yourself. And then what? What was the third one? Those you are writing it down? God provides opportunities to develop and use your gifts through who? Mentors. Mentorship. Fourth thing is, God gives us wisdom to use our gifts to glorify Him. Alright. Better questions though. Here's some questions you ask when it comes to your calling in life as far as placement is concerned. Number one, okay, when you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, simply ask the question, what do I want to do? <laughs> Pastor, can you tell me what I should do, what work I should get in? I would ask you, what do you want to do? Don't ask me, I don't know. What do you want to do? Secondarily, who are you? See, you got that. You got the first one figured out. What do you want to do? How many of y'all got that figured out? Come on, be honest. You know what you want to do? Good. That's good. I mean, that's a big question that you have an answer for. Secondarily, who are you? Does anybody in here know who you are? Who are you? Brother 
Chris, who are you? It's a trick question. He knows it. Who are you? Well, who, who, who you are is how God made you to be. The kind of person God made you to be. Okay, watch. So you might want to be a Navy SEAL. That's always been a dream of mine. <laughs> Just kidding. Knife-yielding preacher. Bayonet. Rambo. The edited version. Get to run around without your shirt all day long. No, I'm just kidding. But the, the problem is, okay, you might want to be a Navy SEAL, answer the first question. But the second question, who are you? Who did God make you to be? You do realize that the majority of us could never be a Navy SEAL. I mean, we could long and dream and watch all the videos about being a Navy SEAL and say, yeah, I'm going, you know. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. You don't know who you are. You don't know. Maybe you can be. But you have to understand that Navy SEALs, God made those men to be able to be a Navy SEAL. You can't just jump in there and say, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. You'd be crying home, calling home to mama the next day. Mama, you come get me. I'm too hard. So you, then, so you have to know who you are. No matter, even though you want to do certain things, you're just not made. You're not equipped. God didn't make you with the, the kind of wiring that you need, the kind of mind that you need, the, the phys, phys, physical aspects that you need to go through something like that. You need to know who you are when you're making a decision about calling. Okay, I want to be, you know, a little girl. Not me. Not me. But a little girl says, when I grow up, I want to be a ballerina. You might want to be a ballerina, but do you know how grueling it is to be a ballerina? You got to, God made you. Maybe, maybe He made you with the ability to go through that kind of grueling process. The point is that not everybody can be a ballerina and not everybody can be a seal because God didn't make us to be that kind of a person. I got some sisters in here. They don't want to be a ballerina. They want to be the Navy SEAL. I feel it in my spirit. I hear sisters screaming out in their spirits, I want to be a Navy SEAL. Sometimes you've got to be careful about what you say you want to become, you know. Jeremiah's little boy, he cried out one day, I want to be the queen. Yeah, they ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because Christina says, yeah, he wanted to be, everybody else say doctor, lawyer, 
Jeremiah. I want to be a clown. I don't know. It's so, Sister Victoria was was at a birthday or something, and she was getting presents or whatever. And and she says, you know, I want to be the I want to be a queen. I mean, you got to be careful when you say I want to be something that that God made you to be that. You're you're not qualified to be a queen. You might not be able to be a clown. Don't worry, don't worry. He gives me grief all day long. <laughs> Amen. I know I got, you know, locked out of the bus when we were over there in Fredericksburg and he's up here ratting. Hey, yeah, let's go. Leave him behind. Now's our chance. And the church is over there laughing. <laughs> you know, laughing about me being locked outside the bus. Can't get in the bus. That's bad. And I think it was the following Sunday, I got locked out, locked the front, somebody locked the front door. I was in the front of the church. I got locked out of my own church. <laughs> so I've been locked out of my church bus, been locked out of my own church. And uh, uh, Sister Angelica and Brother Gabriel, they were in the car and I, they were the only ones left. I said, can I catch a ride around back? You know? And I, I looked at them. I said, do you think this is a sign of things to come? <laughs> and I been locked out of my own church, you know. Anyway, so he gives me grief, I give him grief. But we all say things, you know, about what we want to want to be, you know, and we have dreams, and it's okay to dream. It really is. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's just some of us are just not equipped to do it. You know what I'm saying? You know, I say, well, I want to be a pastor. That's a wonderful thing. That's a holy vocation. It's an awesome call. There's no higher call on the planet to be a pastor. Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States, made a statement. He said, that's the highest call in the land to be a pastor. The higher, highest call is higher than the President of the United States. But I want to tell you something. If you're not equipped for it, it will kill you. It'll kill you. Amen. So you've got to know. Said, I, want to, I want to do this. Okay, that's great. But you've got to know who you are. You've got to be able to answer that honestly too. You, you, your ego, man. Your ego. We all got an ego. Say ego. Every one of us got an ego. And our ego write a check. Our consecration can't pay. Amen. Ego. Do you know who you are? Do you know how God made you? Man, do you know your limitations? Do you know your strength? Do you know your weaknesses? Whew. See, some things you don't want to get in there and do it and try it out and find out, mm, I don't have what it takes. <laughs> Been there, done that. Man, oh, I don't know how I got... I want to do this, God, but I don't know. I don't know who I am. <laughs> Amen. Well, been doing it for over 20 years, so I guess we are we're doing it. We're just doing it. We're just doing it. Sister Christina says, "You know, there's a price to pay. There's a cost that we've got to pay." She says, "Sometimes I don't know if I'm able to pay that price." 
So you've got to count the cost. You've got to sit down and count the cost. You've got to know who you are. Amen. Say praise the Lord. And then thirdly, this is real important. What do people ask you to do for them? Okay, so if I want to, if I want to do something and then and I look at my life and I believe that God has made me, give me the abilities to do it, but nobody's asking me to do it. Right? Well, that's a pretty good sign. Nobody wants you to do it. That's probably not what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, if you sign up to be a pastor and nobody shows up to church, it's an empty building. I mean, give it 10, 20 years, but after that you start putting two together. It's just you and your wife. It's you, you probably need to do something different. And nobody's asking you to pastor them. Amen? So you, you put it in thrifty nickel, you're going to be a, a gardener. You're going to be a landscaper. Mow your lawns like Brother David back there. And so he gets one job. He goes and mows it and says, would you like me to come back next week? And they go, oh no. <laughs> and then you go to another house and you mow the yard and you ask them, do you want me to come back next week? And they go, oh no. You're pretty much learning real quick this is not your occupation to be in because nobody's asking you to come back. See, that, that's really important. You might want to be something. You might know who you are. But does anybody want you to do it for them? Anybody asking you to do it? I want to be a preacher. Anybody asking you to be one? I want to be a singer. I think I can sing. I want to be a singer. Well, first of all, did God give you a voice to sing? Hey, okay, check that one off and check the second one off. And then so now you want to make a living as a singer, but nobody's asking you to sing for them. You probably need to change occupations. And even even the birthday parties don't want you to come back. I mean, it's real simple. It's just simply this. Is anybody... But, I, Pastor, I want to do this. Okay. You think you can handle it? Yeah, I think I can handle it. Does anybody want you to? No? Oh. Well. Then you probably want to find something else. Is anybody asking you to take that job? No. Keep looking. You understand. See, sometimes we think real high of ourselves. We see ourselves doing lofty things. Nobody's asking. <clears throat> Amen? Praise the Lord. In fact, a lot of people are just, they run in the other direction. <clears throat> Instead of picking you, <laughs> we're not picking you. <laughs> That's okay too, man. You understand? So this is, are you going to sit around and dream all day long? About, you know, what you want to do? You think you're made up, you can do it, and if nobody wants you to sit around and just wait and wait for somebody to come and beg you to come and do it for you? No, you got to get up 
And you got to go and you got to keep moving. Amen. Say praise the Lord. What people, what people ask you to do over and over and over, real important, probably is the voice of God telling you what your call in life is. Nobody's asking you to preach. You're probably not called to preach. Okay, so. It's not real hard. Beat your head against the wall. God, I'm just going to see this through to the end. Are y'all awake? I want to be a welder. Nobody's asking you to weld anything. Last time you welded something, you burned the building down. Okay, so anyway, praise the Lord. Real quick, what do you want to do? Who are you? Amen? Can you be that person? Can you fulfill that job? Did God make you with that ability? And then what do people ask you to do over and over? That's probably the voice of God. Amen. Serve God where you have been put. Adversity. Amen. Is not telling you that you need to make a change. Adversity is telling you, hunker down. Stay with it. Don't make a move. If I'll stay here and I'll fight through this adversity, push through this adversity, through this difficulty, I am going to grow as a human being. If I run off every time I get into some kind of tough battle adversity, if I'm always making changes in my life, I don't know about you, man. I, I, I failed in a few areas of my life. I don't want to fail again. So sometimes I'm, I'm going to stay in a situation, man, you know, and I'm just going to fight through it and press through it and push through no matter how much pain, suffering, agony, whatever, disappointment, whatever. Amen. Because I know what's going to happen. It's going to cause me to grow. It's going to cause me to change. That's important. When you, when you, when you have something on the inside of you that sticks with something through adversity, You are investing in to your own self because you're allowing yourself to be developed and grow in that adversity. It's not that you're out of the will of God. Adversity comes with everything we do. Challenges come with everything we do. Amen. Okay. Serve God where you put them. Uh, Head to the okay, heed to the general call of faith. Amen. And then secondary to the particular calls to see our gifts for the good of people and the glory of God are used. That's the way that we look at this, okay? Now I'm almost done. In the Bible. 
Okay, let me just touch this and then I'll get in scriptures. You, if you want to go to Ephesians chapter 6, you can because I'm going to go there in just a minute. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Okay. Now, in the Bible, brothers and sisters, you need to understand something. <clears throat> Unlike the Roman Greco mindset, the thinkers of the Romans and the Greeks, when they looked at jobs, they categorized them. Most important to the less important. Okay? <clears throat> and they said that labor hard labor is inferior to a job that is involving the mind. That was the Roman and the Greek mindset. But it is not the Jewish mindset nor the biblical mindset of God. God doesn't say that the doctor okay, is superior to the laborer. He do, God doesn't, doesn't categorize it like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. In the Jewish mindset, even the scholars, even the sages, even the rabbis, if you want to use that term, I'll use it loosely like they use it, they were required Jewish rabbis were required to have some type of skill set of labor. That's why you see the Apostle Paul in the New Testament when he's going to preach in the Gospel. That man was a, was a rabbi. And the Bible says he was a tent maker. Now from what I understand by from Vendel Jones who's been over into Israel some of the things I've listened to him say, Vendel Jones says a tent maker in the New Testament was not a tent maker. He was a talit maker. But the point being is that a Jewish rabbi like Paul, the first thing he was taught in his home was some form of labor. Educated in the Greek city of Tarsus. Had a Roman citizenship. Very highly educated. He was familiar with the Roman Greco world. He was familiar with Judaism as a religion. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was comfortable in both worlds at the same time because he was uniquely gifted from God to be able to work within both worlds at the same time. But he, as highly educated as he was, knew how to work his hands. It was required of the Jewish young man to be able to labor with their hands. Amen? Okay. So it was the Romans and the Greeks, they categorized, not the Jews. Now, God in the Word, in His Word, He chose craftsmen to do His work. You want the verse? It's Exodus 31, 1 through 11. He chose craftsmen. God didn't place, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, okay, this is superior, this is inferior. Right, right. 
God chose craftsmen. He chose prophets. Isaiah 6. And the prophets, the craftsmen and the prophets were just as important to God. The craftsmen were just as important to God as the prophet was. Okay? Amos. When you study Amos, read chapter 7 of the book of Amos. He says, I was a pincher of sycamore fruit. He said, I wasn't a, when God called him, he said, I wasn't a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. He said, I was a pincher of sycamore fruit. And he tended the sheep. And he said, God came to me and said to Amos, go and prophesy. He didn't have daddies in his background that were preachers. He didn't have education of the bands of the prophets like Samuel in Samuel's day who had the school of the prophets. He didn't have a formal education in theology. God just picked that man who was a sheep herder and a pincher of fruit. And he said, go and prophesy to my people. God didn't categorize him as inferior because he was a pincher of sycamore fruit. Pincher means you had to get up and pinch the fruit in order to make it ripe. Amen. God, when He looks at your life, He doesn't say, okay, Pastor Carter, you know, He's he's superior because He's the preacher, He's the pastor, He's in a sacred occupation. He looks at you if you are whatever you do, if you're a landscaper. Landscaper's not inferior to the pastor. If you're, the, if you're a welder, a craftsman, God doesn't say in His mind, you're less. He, if you are somebody that's serving food in a restaurant, He doesn't say you're inferior to the doctor or to the attorney. That's the way the world looks at it. What God is saying, wherever you find yourself, as long as you have been called, that first call, which is the most important thing, and you're in a relationship with Him, and you are being conformed into His image and you're walking in humility and you're living holy before Him. He's saying, it doesn't matter where you work, what you're doing. It's all good in God. It's all important. A mother taking care of her children might feel insignificant in what she's doing and might be tempted to go out into what's called the workplace and be a professional woman. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. You as a woman who is taking care of those babies, staying home and watching those babies are just as important and probably more important than somebody that's in the workplace. A professional woman. You might look at it as just being ordinary. That's the way we all sometimes look at everything. Every one of us here today, including the pastor, sometimes they look at it and say, what I'm doing is just ordinary. Because I can't see the results of my life in people. I don't know the influence. I don't know how I'm helping. When God looks at you, that first and most important call, which is the, which is the focal point of the Word of God, if that's in place, God said, you're glorifying me. It doesn't matter what occupation it is. You call it secular and spiritual. God doesn't call it secular and spiritual. It's all spiritual. When you're washing dishes, no wonder in Zechariah, 
He said the pots will have on it holiness unto the Lord. He said the bells of the animals will have holiness unto the Lord. Common day, everyday farmers, their animals will have bells. I'm saying separated unto God. When you wash dishes for your family, that's not secular, that's spiritual. Give God praise in this house. Holiness unto the Lord. Read that last chapter of the prophet Zechariah and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's you and I that separate the secular from the spiritual. But when you get up in the morning and you go to your job, whatever it is, if it's laying tile, if it's laying carpet, whatever it is, if it's preparing food, if it's whatever, selling cars, working on cars, if you do it to glorify God, it's no longer secular. It's just as spiritual, brothers and sisters, as the man standing behind the pulpit preaching to you. In fact, in some cases, more spiritual. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 6. <clears throat> you know, churches can, can isolate people. They can have <clears throat> seminars for doctors and lawyers, doctors, attorneys, and completely leave out the guy fear and trembling. When you go, when you obey that boss, the first thing that should come in your mind is this. I don't necessarily like this man, but I'm, I'm obeying him because ultimately I'm doing it unto to the Lord. I'm going to do what he tells me because I'm doing it unto the Lord. And we've all been asked to do things. I remember when I worked for a company, I was asked to do all kinds of stuff. It wasn't in my, you know, my my uh, agreement. I mean, it's more and more like that today. You go to work, you got to. Well, what what is the job description? What am I going to be doing here? Well, you're going to be driving a truck. Okay. Does that mean sometimes I got to get off the truck and unloose the pipes? No, you're only driving the truck. When I was working at at a, at a company, it wasn't like that. When you got hired on, they what? They said you're going to get hired on for this, but you did everything, everything. Your job description was everything. Amen. I worked in a warehouse, unloading and loading trucks. I repaired. I was a chemical repair pump repair man. Amen. I went and picked up the mail. I delivered filters out of town. Are you here? I hold weeds on the side of the building. And sometimes not just the side of the building, but the whole huge field in front of the building. Hold the whole thing by hand because I didn't have anything to do. And I wanted to stay busy, so I hold the whole thing by hand. Forget job description. And then, just for kicks, they said, by the way, paint this building. So I became a painter. And it was no small building. It's probably as long as this building. As big as this building, square foot wise. Painted the whole thing by hand, roller. So, you know, you start talking to me about job description and, you know, they're mistreating me because they asked me to, you know, to... 
I was supposed to, I'm supposed to, my job description is to flip hamburgers and they asked me to take the trash out. And I just don't think I should have to do that. Well, I'm sorry. You've got to do whatever is required of you. Okay? So that was a, if I was somebody, you know, wanting to hire somebody, I said, what are you willing to do? Are you one of those people that have to have only a certain kind of job description and you don't can't move out from anything? I don't want you. Well, I'm willing to do anything. I want you. Say praise the Lord. God is good, isn't He? So this is what the Bible's talking about. It's the way you obey your master as unto the Lord. And then if you are a boss. He said, you treat them. Treat them right. Amen. You don't threaten them all the time. Cuss them out all the time. Amen. Be like Brother Thomas Pretor or Brother Mark House. They greet all of their people that are around them, working for them and with them. May the Lord bless you today. Instead of getting cussed out every day they go to work. You know what I'm saying? Okay. As unto the Lord. First Timothy 2 9. That's what Boaz did, remember, when we studied Ruth? He said, The Lord bless you. And then they in turn, the employees, to Boaz, may the Lord be with you. I mean, that'd be great, wouldn't it, if you went to a workplace where the boss said, The way the Lord bless you, and then they, they in turn responded and said, The Lord be with you. It's kind of fun when it's reciprocated. You know, if I say, God bless you, hopefully you say, may the Lord be with you. Amen. I think some of y'all, some people like to go to work where they cussed out all the time. <laughs> well, none of you. Right? Nobody here. You, nobody here's ever been cussed out at your job, have you? You been recently? Recently? Really? But you didn't do anything to deserve it, did you? No, of course not. They just they just had a bad day. They just wanted to take it out on somebody. Amen. Are y'all awake? I'm. I promise you, I'm almost done. Biblically, they're not supposed to do that. But what if you have 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9? Oh, no, man. Why did I do that? Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Not what I'm looking for. Sorry. Okay, let's just go on. First Peter two eighteen. Sorry about that. My mistake. Okay, verse eighteen. Look at this. 
Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. So when we go to work, you go to work, you got a boss that's just, I mean, you hate them. They're not good people. Then as a Christian, how are you to react to that? How do you handle that? Yeah, the Bible's very clear. Subject yourself to them with all fear. It's not because they deserve it. It is because you're doing it as unto the Lord and God said to. Amen. Some of y'all, have y'all ever had a really bad boss? Really? Just a, we just call it a jerk. You ever had a jerk for a boss? Anybody here? Yeah, a few of you. Just a total, absolute jerk. Amen. Well, you go in there, you still be okay, submissive. You still have, you keep the right attitude. You keep the right heart. You don't cuss them out. You don't talk bad about them behind their back. You subject yourself to them. Amen. According to the word of the Lord. Okay, a few more things I need to cover and I'm going to let you go home. What if you get in a situation in the workplace and that, okay, this is tough in the sense that to try to, you know, put it in a box, but let's say you go to work and in that corporation or in that workplace, you know there's some things that's going on that's not right. As a Christian, what are you supposed to do? For example, you go to 7-Eleven. Sister Laura, where do you work? You still work at 7-Eleven, don't you? Okay, you go to 7-Eleven. Do they still do lottery tickets? Okay. So she's sort of in a dilemma here. Because as a, a Christian, as a woman of God, she doesn't do lottery tickets, do you? Just want to make sure. <laughs> I didn't think so. But, but right here, so people walking through the door and Sister Laura as a Christian, she's got convictions about lottery tickets because she knows that the people that are buying those tickets are the poor. And they're, most of them, most of them are not wealthy. They're poor people. And they're spending their hard-earned money, hard-earned money on these lottery tickets. And Sister Laura knows that, and she, you know, she may have a conviction about that. So she may say, "Do I need to quit my job because where I work they sell lottery tickets?" And I don't believe in that. Okay. Or used to years and years ago. I don't know if they still do. It's been a long time since I've been to Seven Eleven. They used to sell, you know, all kinds of magazines. And so, I don't think they do that anymore. But Aside from that particular place, but any store that you're working at, and they sell these magazines, you know. And you as a Christian, you know that's not right. Man, you're, you're convicted because the place that you work, they sell these magazines. Just a couple examples. Does that mean you as a person, because something is there that's not right, you look at that and you say, I quit because of that. Or, you've got somebody like Asia. She's working in the pharmaceutical and the pharmacy. And you know all kinds of medicines are sold. 
from that pharmacy. Some of them good. The majority of them are good. But there are some that are sold. They possibly would abort a baby. And somebody comes up there and Azer's working there and they have a prescription for a pill that abort a baby. And that becomes a conflict in Asia because she's a Christian and she doesn't believe in aborting children. Do you quit? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Or let's say you're involved in the media and you're you're a, a television producer or you know whatever. You work at a news station. And for years and years and years, that, that station is all about news. And all of a sudden, they take on some, some sensual shows. And here you are. You've been there 20 years. What do you do? Do you quit? Because now, this place is no longer just serving news. It's serving some other things. What do you do? Are you, are you required by God to quit? First thing you have to ask yourself is this. Okay. And knowing the things that are there that are wrong, can you as a Christian work there and continue to do good in a corrupt place? I'm not talking about a drug dealer. Well, I'm doing a little good too because I, you know... I don't just sell drugs, but I give. No, come on, man. You know what I'm talking about. When you go to that place and you know it's corrupt or there's something that's not, it's not 100%, it's not all the way it's supposed to be. Can I continue to work here in good conscience or not? One question you have to ask yourself, can I continue to do good where I am? If you can, you stay. Now you have to work out maybe some ways in the medical, pharmaceutical. Would you check them out? I don't know how you want to work that. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Okay. If you can do good there, you stay because you are salt and light in a corrupt world. If you're in a place though, that it is so corrupt that you can't do anything good there, which means you, can, you can't do any good, period, then you have to get out of there. There's nothing good about it. You've got to get out of there, okay? Alright. You are salt and light. Now, of course, if you have convictions, your conscience is bothering you, then you go, you honor God by faith and you make a job change. But I'm telling you, you don't have to make a job change just because everything in that place is not perfect. Because there is no such thing as a perfect job in a fallen world. So you have to understand work in the, in the realm of fallenness. And I still deal good where I am. Joseph continued to work 
for an evil, corrupt man called Pharaoh. That man claimed to be God. That, claim, that man claimed that he owned all of Egypt. It all belonged to him. That man was an idol worshiper. That man was evil. Joseph worked for the man. In 1 Kings, I'll give you the verse here. Chapter 18, verse 3 through 4. Let me make sure. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that if every time we find some little bitty, maybe not little, maybe it's big, something that doesn't allow my job to be perfect, that every time you find that, you're going to go and quit the job and go somewhere else. You're going to find out it's going to be in every place you go. You're not going to find a perfect place. There's going to be some corruption, some corrupt boss, some activity there that you don't agree with. But you stay there and you keep doing good. And you let Jesus Christ be glorified. You let your, His light shine through you. You be salt in the midst of that corruption. First Kings 18, 3-4. Everybody heard of a man by the name of Elijah? Eliyahu? The prophet? Ever heard of Obadiah? verse 1 of 18 it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah the third year saying go show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth and Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab and there was a sore famine in Samaria and Ahab called Obadiah which was the governor of his house now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. One man, Elijah, chooses to be outside of the corruption as a prophet of the Lord. Another man, the Bible says very clearly, Obadiah says that he feared the Lord and he was a governor in the house of Ahab. And when Ahab and Jezebel decided to kill the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah was in that position as a governor in a very wicked man's house. And he'd hear the command to go kill the prophets of the Lord. And he'd go and he'd undo that command by putting them in caves and feeding them. But he sought to serve the Lord from within the corruption and defeated the corruption by being there. Whereas Elijah sought to defeat the corruption by being on the outside. Amen? Hmm. Very quiet in here. Okay. So I don't know what you might be facing in your workplace. I, as a pastor, have known uh, men that went into their workplaces and there was alcohol that was served there. I know there are people here today, maybe you work in stores where alcohol is served there. And all kinds 
of illicit things are sold there, what difference is it? You, you would say, well, I think you need to quit. Because they serve alcohol in this restaurant. But you won't go tell your daughter to quit her work at Walmart. And they sell alcohol. There's just sometimes there's so much inconsistency in us. We want to pick at every little thing. The whole point is, I'm trying to give you Bible, that you... You're gonna you're gonna see something that's wrong, man. Okay. Well, one place I can go to, um, I'm never gonna have a difference with, and that's the church. Brothers and sisters, this is not infallibility here. Infallibility is not standing in front of you, and infallibility is not sitting next to you. Okay. There might be, and, and you, you know, I'm not trying to say corruption here. There's no corruption here. But I'm saying, do you think that 100% of you are always going to agree everything that I say and do here, or that we do here as a church, or the way we, what color carpet we got, and how we spend our money? Well, I don't think we ought to be doing that. I don't think we ought to spend our money that way. I mean, I've had that. One person got all bent out of shape because we're going to put some tile in the gym over there. I don't think we should be spending money, the Lord's money on, on gym floors. I mean, that's a long time ago. All I'm trying to say to you is that there's no perfect place, not even in the church, man. You live in a fantasy world. I know people, they live in a fantasy world, man. Some of them are controlled by devils. Okay. So we try to run this church above board according to the Word of God very carefully. Okay, But I'm just telling you that there's nothing perfect in this world. Is everybody with me? Well, I'll quit. I won't quit because I'm holier than them. I'll never go to that church because they're not as good as I am. <laughs> we watching you. Just see how just how good you are. They praise the Lord. So I'm just telling you. Okay, so what? My point being today is that hopefully this is helping you before I go all night. <coughs> that when you get into these difficult situations, man, you know everything's not what it should be. What do you do? You're working with the government, the government, there's something going on in the government that's not right. You quit the government job? No, you have to be light and salt in that place. You have to, in the midst of that corruption, maybe maybe God has called you to separate yourself and get outside of it. And maybe you should like Elijah, but maybe God said to you, you're an Obadiah, stay here. And you are surrounded by corruption and evil. But if you can keep doing good, keep doing good. As long as you don't decide to join the corruption. As long as you don't become sympathetic to what is wrong there. As long as you don't start acting and talking and living like the people that are around you that are not of God. Stay there. Example, even, okay? 
the early church, first going back to First Corinthians chapter seven, dealt with a situation: married couples. A woman comes in the church; she's a believer. He's not coming in; he's an unbeliever. So they started thinking, "Well, I need if I'm going to be spiritual, and I'm going to serve God. I got to break up with my unbelieving husband." God said, "No, you remain there. You stay married to that man." It's going to be hard, but you glorify God. Not a perfect situation. Now, okay, I'm talking about the workplace. I'm not talking about school. Some of you, some of you single parents have to put your children in school. I understand it. Some of you about to pull your hair out of your head. If you keep homeschooling, you're going to pull your hair out. You, then you might have to put them in school. I mean, because they won't cooperate with you. It's not your fault, Mama, Daddy. The kid won't do what they're supposed to do, so you might have to put them in school. But you have to be careful and understand, just like in the workplace, just like you can be influenced, they can be influenced. Be careful. I said, as long as you can do good, stay there. But if you're starting to turn into them, you probably better get away from them. You started working there, you had good morals. Then you hung around all these people that didn't, and all of a sudden you started lying. Anyway. When you first went to work there, you wouldn't have stole a pencil. And you saw all the rest of them around you, they take home everything printers, computers. You started putting the pens in the pocket. Well, it's just a pen. Just a pencil. <laughs> You're a thief. <laughs> That's the way it is. You're a thief. Amen. Uh, so, praise the Lord, church. So, you're going to find yourself in these situations. You're going you're gonna to have to leave planet Earth. Okay? But you, when you make decisions, especially in the area of righteousness and things like this, make sure you're consistent. And don't go over there and tell somebody else to do it just because you did it. You need to get out of there because I did. No. Just because you did doesn't mean they got to go too. Okay? Say praise the Lord. But I know how infinitely wise y'all are. The point is, is this, okay, if the man, the, the, the news corporation, all of a sudden, and I have, there's a history, I know, I read about a man who was in a, in a situation like that. And he decided, he went to different people, his friends, and asked him, what should I do? Should I quit? Because they're showing these shows that I don't agree with. It used to be just a news thing. And some of the friends said, yeah, you need to get out of there. And then they say, no, you need to stay there and be a light. He decided to stay there. It wasn't, but a few months later, they got rid of that stuff because they said this doesn't fit with what we're trying to do here. They got rid of it. What would have happened if he'd have quit his career of 20-something years, I think that's what it was, and left, and they got rid of the bad stuff anyway. Dumb decision. Okay. So anyway, praise the Lord, you got it. 
infinite, the infinitely wise people here tonight. Any any little thing that's wrong, you're getting out of there. We're not staying there. What would it be like to have a world with no Christians? What would it be like to have a workplace with no Christians? God, literally, He took you, whew, He took you and put His seed in you that He might then sow you back into the world so that you could be an influence. I know I'm talking long. I can see your face as well. Yeah, yeah, Pastor. We surrender. We surrender. We surrender. We surrender. So let me go on. Hallelujah. Sounds like I'm, sometimes like I'm, I'm like an attorney. Pleading the case. You get it? No, I don't get it. Okay, let's talk some more. Brother Tim, King Tim, when you go to the school, is it perfect over there? Oh, no. What are you doing there? You should have quit a long time ago. You know? Not good. All right. Next thing I want to talk to you about is supportive roles. Sometimes you need to be willing to take on a supportive role. Okay, I promise you, I've only got a couple more things to do just to comfort you in your pain. You have to be willing to take supportive roles for things that you want to do on your own. You say, I want to do that myself. And God says, no. Even a king has limitations. David, and we're preaching on the life of David. We're just starting it. It's just fascinating to me. And we've done it before, but I'm learning so much about the life of David. What it takes to make a man of God. And, and, and David, remember we talked a little bit about it Sunday morning, how David said, I want to build God a palace. I want to build. Here I am in a palace and he's in a tent. I want to build God a palace. And so the prophet first says, do what's in your heart, David. And then God spoke to the prophet at night and said, you go and tell him no. Said he's not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for him. Why? Why? God said because he was a man of blood. He was a man of war. Now there was nothing wrong with David being a man of war. He was defending the nation of Israel. He was in the will of God when he was shedding blood and defending Israel. But God said you can't build the temple. I want your son to build it because it has to be a peacetime work. Not by a man of war, but by a man of peace. So, you have to understand that sometimes you have to be willing to take on a supportive role because there are limitations in your life that God puts on you that will not allow you to do what you want to do. And God put those limitations on you. He put those limitations on a king. Somebody that you might think he can do anything, whatever he wants to do, anytime he wants to. God said, no, David. You're limited on what you can do. 
So you'll take on a supportive role. You'll gather the materials, the goods, the gold, the silver, and everything, and you'll get it ready, but somebody else is going to do it for you. How many of y'all want to take on supportive roles for things you want to do? Amen. Well, sometimes people will leave too quick and get into the ministry because they want to be the pastor. You know? Man. Maybe God has limited you. If, if, you, if God is telling you to do that and do that, by all means, do that. But maybe God is saying, no, you have to take on a supportive role. I'm putting limitations on you. When you use your gifts, use them at the highest level. If you are a skilled surgeon, you've gone through the school, the process, everything that it takes to be a skilled surgeon, don't replace your work of a surgeon with mopping floors. Because then you're not using your skill set or your talents at its highest level and that will not glorify God. Okay? Luke 12, 48. Last part of that verse, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Okay? So if you have been given much, what it's saying is, you need to function on a very high level. You've been given much, much will be required. To whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. That's why oftentimes I tell people before I put them either in trustees' positions or, you know, uh, assisting me in the ministry and these levels like this, I will ask them. Very important question. Okay? You are fixing to take on something that's very important. Do you understand what you're about to do? To whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. That's why it's extremely important for leaders in the church and, and work, whatever, that you function on the highest level. Because like myself, you have to be an example to this body. An example of prayer. An example of worship. An example of praise. An example of holiness. An example. Because a lot has been committed to you, therefore you're going to be required a lot. And if you're not willing to pay that price, then don't accept that office. Okay, because it's not going to be like this. Well, brother, so and so he don't do it, so I don't get have to. You are in a high le higher level of commitment. We're watching you. The church is watching you. The church is watching you. The people on the platform are watching you. The pastor's watching you. He's watching you. Everybody's watching you. And if you're not willing to be watched, 
and have much required of you, then you need to get out of that office. Because we don't give complimentary offices here. We have to understand if something is being committed to us on a high level, we need to function on a high level. And these men back here, Brother Martin, Brother Thomas, they know that because I talk to them. I do at times. I have even meetings with them on a personal level and talk to them, say, where we are here? You know? Him? I don't normally have to do a lot of talking with him. There's there's something that's, that I, that I do talk to him about, but that's going to be between him and me. Okay, some area that he needs to be stronger in, because he's claimed to be a preacher, pastor, or want to preach the word of God. He's going to tell you what to do. All I say to him, if he's going to tell you what to do, he better be doing it. Okay. So the point being is this: again, you have to understand how important it is to function on the highest level. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And whom men commit much, they will what? They will ask more. I ask more of these men than I ask of you. I ask more of him than I ask of you. Okay? Because that's fine. Alright, so if you are, if you do really feel a call of God in your life to be a pastor, then you can't be an assistant pastor. You might be an assistant pastor for a while until you develop. But if God's called you to be a pastor, you're going to have to be a pastor. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. God's going to look at all of our lives and say, You settled for the lesser when I required of you something greater. And I don't want to be that when I stand before Him. And oftentimes I don't do... I'm not infallible. There's a lot of fallibility in us even though we have the Holy Ghost. Okay? I keep doing what I'm doing because I know God's going to hold me to that level of responsibility when I stand before Him. Amen? Okay, I know you're tired. I appreciate you staying a long time tonight. But we really do need to talk about this. See, we can we can go we go in extremes, extremes, extremes. I can do that when I can't, or the other extreme. I can't do that like somebody else can. Two extremes. Either we're trying to find a way out because we just don't feel adequate, or we can't do it, but yet we claim that we can. Brothers and sisters, I am so honest with people. I tell them when they come and get ready, if you're going to be a trustee, get ready to be hit from hell like you've never been hit before. Your family's going to be hit from hell like you've never been hit before. Are you ready for this? I tell them, when you get in this position, I expect you to be a worshiper and a praiser. I expect you to be in prayer. I expect you to be on fire for God. If you're not, don't take this position. You are being watched. But then on the other hand, 
if you're called to that high level and God has equipped you for it, and you say, no, I'm not going to do it. Because it just, it's just going to require too much from me. You're living below the call of God. And God says, you've been given a lot. And a lot's going to be required of you. And you weren't willing to do it. Don't look for a way out. Okay, everybody with me? You got a surgeon over here mopping floors, man. What are you doing, man? You're going to mess your hands up. You know? On his knees. What are you doing? Those are skilled hands. Get over there and do some surgery. Okay. Say praise the Lord. Say praise the Lord. Don't don't be the person in the extreme. Well, I can't do it. Somebody else can. And don't be the other person who's got an ego that says, I can do it, and you can't. What God gives you, use it for His glory at the highest level. Example, the Apostle Paul. I made reference to him earlier as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The Apostle Paul used his skill set, used his talent, used his abilities. His unique, unique man. He was a unique man. To the glory of God. Three missionary journeys. Traveled over 12,000 miles land and sea. He could preach to the Gentiles and preach to the Jews. He was comfortable with Roman and Greco-Roman thought as he was with Jewish religion. He could function in both worlds at the same time with no problem because he was uniquely gifted. What would have happened if he said, well, I'm going to go over here and I think I'll mop floors. I don't think God would have been happy with him. <laughs> no. Someday, really, brothers and sisters, I want to... There's a book. Uh, I think Scorgie's the, the writer of the book. It's called The Unfolding Drama of Redemption. It's about that thick. Somewhere in there. And uh, he talks about the Apostle Paul, his uniqueness. And me and Jeremiah, we were working on a report for him. And I was blown away by the unique making of that man his training his his school where he went to school a Greek school he went to a Greek school in Tarsus a Roman citizen could speak Hebrew he could speak Greek okay so anyway y'all know someday I'll tell you about the man just amazing he served God on the highest level he possibly could and glorified God in two worlds don't settle for less. God's calling you for more. Amen. But be content where God has you right now until you know for sure God wants you somewhere else. Amen. Say praise the Lord. The most important thing is is that you do the will of God. That's the most important thing. That you do the will of God. That you're a born again believer. You're walking in holiness. Serving God wherever you are. Amen. And just do the will of God. I love all of you. Thank you for staying so long. For all of you laborers out there. 
Even this man here, Ben, ben Sirach, in the Apocrypha makes this one statement. I want to leave it with you as you leave. Because sometimes people who are laborers think they're less than or they're inferior to other people. But even Ben Sirach, very wise man who had a, a school, he says, do not hate hard labor or farm work which was created by the Most High. Amen. So whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Please stand. Amen. God bless you. I love all of you. And I appreciate you being here tonight. Father God, we thank you for this people. God, we ask your blessing to rest upon them as they go forth from this house to labor, to serve you, some homemakers, tending to their children some out in the workplace, various occupations and vocations that this assembly works in. Father God, some here tonight are going to school and working at the same time to develop themselves to function better as a human being. Whatever that is that they're doing, we pray that You help them, strengthen them, Bless them as they walk in fellowship with You and glorify You and do good for other people wherever they find themselves in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.